Martin. Sir. Captain okay. Eddie. Sir, buddy Grant. Sir. You men did an excellent job last night. I'm, uh, I'm proud. I'm proud. I just saw Colonel Sink. He's proud, too. In fact, he's so proud, he wants you to do another patrol across the river tonight. Any moment now, the outpost we hit last night will go up in flames. Martin? Yes, sir. It means we'd have to venture farther into town this time. Captain Spears, you have the map, please? Yeah. Sergeant Grant. We have enemy movement here yes. and here, which means this is our new house target here. We recovered all the boats, so we'll be setting off from the same place we did last night. We're not changing the plan any, sir. No. Plan's the same. Uh, it'll be 0200 hours instead of 0100. Is that clear? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Good, because uh, I want you all to get a full night's sleep tonight. Which means in the morning, you will report to me that you made it across the river into German lines. We're unable to secure any live prisoners. Understand? Americans. Do the right thing when your moment of courage arrives. Welcome to Training Tuesday on the Rav Mania Show live, folks, here on the Red Voice Media Network. And uh, welcome to our X Spaces simulcast live audience. We appreciate you guys. And what you just heard was Captain Dick Winters of the Band of Brothers, at Easy Company in the uh, uh, Parachute Regiment that they all entered World War II in the, the D-Day invasion and went all the way through uh, to take Germany making a command decision using courage to do what many think would be the wrong thing by preventing his men from going on an unnecessary patrol, but reporting otherwise. Well, we all ha have experienced moments like what you just saw, everybody does. Uh, some professions like mine, a military career, tend to generate them more often than others. Uh, because of that, we military members have the opportunity to teach what we've learned and to see these moments in civilian life, giving us the responsibility to help our fellow citizens see and understand them also. We're not alone in this. In fact, our country was created by many citizens who could do this too. And they didn't have military experience, most of them. Here's one, and I'll quote him. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis, shrink from the service of his country, unquote. That's Thomas Paine. He was the American that generated that message and the organizing principles that led to the American Revolution and Declaration of Independence for average citizens. My guest today fully understands this concept. Retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb is uh, an expert in uh, foreign policy. He is a Black Hawk helicopter pilot, battalion commander, uh, international military strategist, and co-founder of Restore Liberty. Darren, welcome back to the Rob Manus Show. Hey, Rob, it's great to see you, and, and thanks for having me on today. Yeah, 
I know why you're chuckling because you wrote an article uh, uh, within an article, uh, which is what I asked you to talk about today, which is the challenges that you and Blaine Holt have discovered in establishing Restore Liberty. Uh, and, and we're going to get to that. But I think the moment of courage uh, that you face, too, as, an, as a commander, uh, an army officer, and a helicopter pilot is worth talking about, too. Do you mind spending a minute just explaining why, what happened with you and why it's important to the discussion about the challenges that you guys have discovered in establishing and operating Restore Liberty? Oh, sure. No, absolutely. And uh, as soon as that video popped up to get us started, I know exactly. I was like, well, here he goes. <laughs> no, this, this one was um, you know, January 2018 uh, out of the National Training Center, Fort Irwin, California. Uh, those who are in uniform will know it well by either, I guess, reputation or personal experience. And both are probably equally valid because uh, it's, uh, and it's on the edge of Death Valley. That's all we need to really know. But and I was put in a situation where I had an opportunity to make a decision that was basically go forth with what they were telling me to do and risk a lot of lives doing something that didn't need to be done or find a way around it and stop the mission in a unique way and make sure that didn't happen again. Uh, context is important. Uh, we had just had two pilots killed in an Apache the night prior. And a big air assault got canceled as a result so we could deal with that. I had moved a lot of things around, skipped a lot of things as this air assault got ramped back up again, despite it being canceled, because you know, generals don't want to hear the word no, even when it's a dumb idea. Yes, often. sir. And uh, so I just uh, basically blasted a code word over radio, and a whole bunch of aircraft mysteriously broke that were obviously mysteriously fixed like six hours later, and we didn't execute this mission. And I could go into you know extreme detail about why this was extremely stupid do, to do in the first place. But um, the other piece of context that matters here is that January 2018, we're in the thick of Trump's brinksmanship with North Korea. And so yeah. there was this idea going around that, oh, everybody's going to North Korea and we're anticipating potentially losing as much of combat power as up to one aviation brigade. And I'm the guy sitting there going, you know, this is the fifth time I've been told this in my career that I was supposed to be going to Korea for an impending war. And uh, you kind of could sense what was happening, and it, and it wasn't ramp up the entire U.S. military to go to Korea. It was force North Korea into a different position in, in the discussion. So it wasn't worth it to me. Either way, made the decision, knew my career was over at that point, and uh, I would do it again. Yeah, and I think one of the things that stands out to that, to Winters' experience, uh, Captain uh, Dick Winters uh, uh, of Easy Company in the uh, uh, Parachute Regiment, uh, uh, was, uh, and, and you, and I've had a, a couple of moments myself, uh, is that uh, you have a certain amount of authority that's very clear uh, as a commander, uh, uh, at whatever level you are, and you understand that, and you can make a decision like this within your own authority, uh, which is exactly what Winters did and what you did, what I did uh, when it came to that. And I think civilians do the same thing that are leaders, uh, whether they're formal leaders or informal leaders uh, in civilian life. Uh, and I've done it in civilian life too. So, you know, that that's important because, and I think that's what Thomas Paine was getting at uh, with, 
the putting common sense into the minds of the Americans at the time uh, that uh, could see what was coming. But, uh, you know, when the elites put all of their word salad out, it's look, it's not just today, folks. It's every, every, <laughs> every generation. Uh, you know, the folks with common sense at the ground level uh, could understand what Payne was talking about because he was one of them. And that's what carried the day. Uh, and, and that's the kind of thinking using common sense applied to these really complex situations sometimes is, is the way I believe that most Americans deal with life. Uh, and that's what makes us very successful, even, when, even in trying times. Uh, you know, most Americans can be successful if they apply those principles. Well, well you and uh, a retired Air Force general, Blaine Holt, established uh, an organization called Restore Liberty, and that's where you put your article that you wrote about about uh, your moment of courage uh, in that uh, in that article. What fascinates me about about Restore Liberty and your experience is that you, you've now been doing it long enough. You've been able to recognize the challenges that I recognized along the way. My first political activity was running for U.S. Senate. Uh, you know, so I'm running with my hair on fire around a state, a whole state, putting 87,000 miles on my pickup truck uh, uh, in, a, in an 18 month period. And uh, I see these things, but I, I don't have time to like write them down <laughs> or even remember them. But uh, but you you have written them down, and I think that's why it's very important for us to talk about that piece here and your you and Blaine's experiences because. Uh, Pretty much, you're on target, you know. And one of the things that uh, that you start off with, let me get a note here. I made a little note here: is that there are few strategists that are gay, engaged or can engage in uh, in efforts like restore liberty. You know, you call it the constitutional movement here in the United States. Why do you think that is? Well, I think. First of all, people don't know what it really means to be a strategist. And I wrote a piece for the Epic Times that they published on that particular topic because it is such an easy word to use. Like, what's your strategy? Everybody uses it in, in every realm of society. And sometimes it's how, do you, how you're going to drive across town and avoid traffic. You know, that could be a strategy. But yeah. um, my perspective is different through schooling, through application of that schooling in real life and other things. I've been able to take some of the lessons I've learned in, in the schoolhouse where I went to the Advanced Military Studies Program, which is an exclusive course for people who in the military became known as the Jedi Knights, the strategy planners and various things across the military force, and apply that to a real world situation as well so I could see the difference between what you're taught, what you did in real life, and find out what's consistent. So I, don't, and I, so I don't think a lot of people truly understand what it means to be able to, first of all, elevate your thinking to an appropriate level of looking down on the world situation and understanding how parts and pieces fit together. Now, that doesn't mean that the, the, you know, the, the lower view look, I guess you could say that what we would call tactics, small units, mm -hmm. um, looking at a very small problem up close isn't valuable. It's extremely valuable. But there's a lot of that going on, and what's not really out there is the ability for an organization or people to fit all of this together and make sense of it. 
yeah. paint a picture to the American people about what all this means. Because, you know, for example, it's not just Ukraine. It's not just Israel. There's a lot of other things that when you start pulling on a thread, there's a lot of things around the globe that move. Finding out why is why uh, it, what makes a good strategy. Absolutely. Uh, well, Darren, since the last time you were on the show, we have a live audience because we simulcast on, on X Spaces now, and Kat is our producer over there. Kat, uh, uh, do you have somebody with a mic with a question for me or our guests or both of us before we go to our first break? I don't see a question at this time, Colonel. I think everybody's just in listening mode right now. And I'm working on one. Don't worry. I promise. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, it's hard to answer questions live uh, coherently. So we'll take a break uh, uh, here in a bit. Uh, <laughs> but we'll move on with this. Uh, you know, the, the next segment's going to start with a clip. You know, I like to start my segments with a little clips uh, uh, from a general officer that should be one of those strategic minds. Uh, I'll give you a little hint. Uh, uh, but. Even in the words in the clip, you'll see that his thinking is not exactly uh, correct factually uh, or strategically uh, when we see this little clip. And, and I think it's important, folks, to understand that uh, if we had a solid strategy amongst the constitutional movement, folks, we'd also have a coalition mindset, which is another one of your uh, lessons learned that you uh, have learned that restore liberty, liberty is a lack of a coalition mindset on the uh, conservative, liberty-minded, constitutional movement side of the debate. Uh, that's something that I noticed uh, as a candidate. I've noticed it as a uh, as a chairman of a political action committee uh, itself. Uh, and uh, you have some interesting points about why that is that I want to talk about when we come back after we address the little clip here, which uh, we're going to do right after this break. Darren, we got to do a commercial because it pays for this stuff, just like old regular TV almost. So I'm Rob Manus with retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb and founder, co-founder of Restore Liberty, which is a fantastic organization. You need to Google that thing and Get it on, get on over there and uh, check it out and sign up because we need you. We need every American to sign up to get this job done, which is saving our constitution and our declaration of independence. We'll be right back. We interrupt today's programming to bring unfortunate news. Biden's dangerous plan for a digital dollar is underway. Don't be fooled. It won't benefit you. So take action now. The Federal Reserve's space deployment of FedNow began on July 1st, 2023. Be prepared. This may catch many off guard and put your hard-earned assets in jeopardy. But here's the good news. There's a simple legal tax loophole to opt out of the digital dollar. Speak to someone at American Alternative Assets for a free wealth protection guide and discover how to safeguard your wealth with gold and silver IRAs against a failing dollar and volatile markets. Dial 833, the number 2 USA Gold. Yes, call now. 833-287-2465. 
This invaluable guide provides precise steps to transfer your IRA or 401k into precious metals without any tax consequences. Don't let Biden force you into using the government's new digital dollar. Call 833, the number two USA Gold. Yes, call now. 833-287-2465. Act swiftly. 833-287-2465. We can come here. We can see the relics and hear the stories through the eyes and the voices of the individual soldiers who endured so much for the cause of freedom and, and their unrelenting devotion to the Constitution of the United States, the moral North Star for all of us in uniform. It is that document that gives purpose to our service. It is that document that gives purpose to this museum, and we in uniform are willing to die to pass it on to the next generation. In it are the ideas and the values that make up this experiment called the United States of America. And the motto of the United States Army for over 200 years, since 14 June 1775, the motto has been this we will defend, and that this refers to the Constitution and to protect the liberty of the American people. You see, we are unique among armies. We are unique among militaries. We do not take an oath to a king or a queen, a tyrant or a dictator. We do not take an oath to an individual. No, we do not take an oath to a country a tribe or a religion. We take an oath to the Constitution. And every soldier that is represented in this museum, every sailor, airman, marine, coast guardsman, each of us will protect and defend that document regardless of personal price. Welcome back to the Rob Mana Show, uh, live here on the Red Voice Media Network. And uh, we are... Uh, talking with the co-founder of Restore Liberty and retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel and uh, combat helicopter pilot Darren Gobb. And that voice you heard there for the folks over in the audience, uh, the live audience, was General Mark Milley at his, uh, at his retirement ceremony. And uh, uh, two things I wanted to talk about real quick with you, Darren, uh, about this clip is one is uh, the strategist discussion. I don't know if you noticed, uh, but I'm sure somebody in the audience notices that he said 1775 was when, essentially when we said we were gonna defend, defend this and that this is the Constitution of the United States. Uh, that is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff with a speech that was prepared for him uttering words that are completely inaccurate. Okay, that's what that is, number one. But number two, that part of the speech about the oath to the Constitution, setting that aside, is exactly the way I feel about my oath to the Constitution, and I bet it is for you too, Darren, but there's a difference between your words, which are beautiful in this case, 
and your actions, which I have a lot of problems with the actions of that chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the, and the Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, uh, that was partnered with him because of the disobeying of orders and not communicating appropriately with the commander in chief, uh, and in Milley's case, as the most senior military advisor to the president of the United States and interjecting himself into the command chain who, illegally against the law instead of talking to the president about it. Uh, that's my problems with them. But, but I wanted to show that clip to show you the difference between words and actions. Words are good, but you have to act the words. Darren, over to you. Yeah, yeah no, no doubt about it. And I've been in the room with him a few times and some of the other people that were part of the Afghanistan debacle as well. So I don't have a lot of good to say. And it seems like you don't either. But I picked up the exact same thing. You know, 14 years after 1775, we had a constitution. Um, that's kind of important. So uh, I true, truly also do believe that my oath is to a constitution and the principles that are written there. But uh, actions mean more than words. And when he said the word, this great experiment, I kind of went back more towards this uh, this jab than anything else, because that's the real experiment that he was part of, was forced jabbing people across the military and having people lose their jobs as a, in the process. The other piece that uh, you alluded to there was the fact that he's calling China behind people's backs. Right. And most people don't really know, you and I know this, but the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the other service chiefs of staff have zero command authority, really. They're advisors to the president, and that's critical to understand, too. In fact, when someone asked me who, who, how we should fight C.Q. Brown to be next as the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, I said, you can't, because Biden's just going to do it anyways, and people are going to vote for him anyways. My, if I was going to make an argument, it's that the service chiefs of staff and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs should just be a vacant position. We don't really need it anyways. That's what the combatant commanders are for, for North American NORTHCOM. Central Command, the European Command, and all the all the others. That that's what they do. These exactly. guys are just basically just highly paid staff that you know the military would go rolling along without them just fine. And in in today's environment, they'd probably go rolling along better. Yeah, I mean the chairman really by law performs two functions. He's a senior military advisor to the president of the United States, and in this case, he failed completely uh, in that because he didn't communicate to the president. He called his counterpart in China and. It, it, that's not as big a problem because it was a scheduled call embedded and all that, but it's what he said. I will mm -hmm. call you if we're going to attack you. That is the part that I have great trouble with. And then the second thing he, the chairman is, uh, and he didn't tell the president that, uh, which basically is his job to advise the president on these mm -hmm. matters. And then the second piece is he, he supervises the joint staff and I've been on the joint staff, uh, and uh, actually in the joint staff, the most critical part of it, the nuclear command and control part of it, and nuclear operations part. And the sole purpose of the joint staff is to communicate, is where the chairman provides the communication channels for the communication of the president's orders to the forces. That's their job. Uh, you know, and everything else is part of those two functions that the joint chiefs of staff and the joint staff perform. And it's the combatant commanders that make the actual command decisions uh, about their forces under their control, whether it's in peace or, or wartime. So uh, yeah, actions versus words. Uh, and I think most people in my audience uh, understand that. Let's go over to the audience, because I think I see a hand up now, Kat. 
for somebody that wants to make a comment or ask a question. Yep, we have Elizabeth from Texas. Go ahead, Elizabeth. Thank you very much. Thank you, Colonel. And for the, because I'm lousy with remembering names, I'm old. Uh, thank you for your service. Uh, I appreciate what y'all have done. And my favorite thing to say to anybody military is thank you for allowing me to be a bitch. Because in this country, that's the only place I can do this. Uh, but if they're useless, why are they in office is my question. Well, Elizabeth, that's a great question. And I would tell you that the, uh, they can be useful if they make themselves that way and do their job and stick to their job criteria, as, as Rob already outlined. Now, when you have a good chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the joint staff as far as the different services are concerned, and they communicate to the president in the way that they're supposed to, work with those commanders overseas and, and, and in North America the way they're supposed to, it can be very effective. But in this situation, under this administration, frankly, rather than continue to advance the woke agenda through multiple star generals, I'd rather have those offices vacant. It just seems like the better decision right now. I completely agree. Uh, and we need a lot less uh, general officers too, because the colonels uh, and the, the Navy captains, which is the colonel equivalent in the Navy, uh, are more than equipped to do most of the jobs that we have all these generals doing today. Uh, so Darren, uh, before we went into that discussion, we talked about your, your second challenge you mentioned in your article about there's not a coalition mindset. I've recognized that too. It's like, it's like these, the organizations work at cross purposes to each other, even though we all have the same goal, which is to restore a constitutional republic, I think in essence. Uh, uh, that 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 is underpinned by the values in the Declaration of Independence. Uh, why is that? Why can't we get to the point where we have a coalition mindset like we see the other side appears to do quite frequently? Well, Rob, I think it's the nature of people like us who are independent in the first place who don't want to be told by anybody what to do as individuals or as organizations that maybe, you know, you know, Blaine and I founded this one. Other people found their founded their organizations, and they don't want anybody stepping into their area and telling them what to do. Which the coalition mindset doesn't necessarily mean that, it, it, but it, it can mean that we work together on our messages, our efforts, and share each other's connections and and things like that to magnify all these efforts across the nation and in some ways across the world. What's one of the things that gets in the way of that, besides just potentially pride, is a big part but also the hunt for funding. If you tie that into the follow-on discussion about the, uh, the funding pay, uh, pursuits, then you've got another problem because without those constitutional big donors, now you've got you know, fewer people to, uh, to talk to about potentially funding your organization and taking part in the fight. Now these organizations often look at each other as competition for those precious resources, rather than someone who just wants to pull alongside you and be complimentary. I would rather have you know, a team of oxen on a plow than have all those oxen constantly fighting each other to be the one on that plow, yeah. because no matter what, we all lose in the end in that regard. Uh, you're absolutely right, and you touch on something I wanted to ask you about what you've learned, and because I've I've got my own sets of lessons learned about the donors. I see the donor pool that groups like yours uh, have is much smaller 
then the donor pool, the large, I'm talking about big donors like George Soros. Uh, the donor pool on the other side seems so vast and, and, and uh, bottomless, uh, whereas on our side, the different groups, and, I, and I'm part of that too, I still operate Gator Pack, and we're constantly fighting for donations uh, to uh, do the things that we want to do, uh, you know, which is contribute to this effort uh, and everything. Uh, so it, it's, it's tough, but I'm wondering why it's so tough. I don't think that they're outnumbered from a pure numbers perspective. There are just as many, you know, constitutional loving uh, uh, gazillionaires in the world as there are leftists, aren't there? Well, I would hope so. Absolutely. Uh, that would be the best case scenario. But I, I think uh, to use the George Soros example, it seems like he's willing to actually throw his money at something that and take the risk it may not work, but he's going to always be yeah. there. And I constantly go back to my one of my sayings, which is it seems like, you know, Marxists fund tyranny, but constitutionalists don't fund liberty. We complain about it. And then we go off on our, our normal daily lives. And and that's uh, that's unfortunate. So I, I understand, though, also from those donor perspectives that often they'll give money to an organization. And I, in the article I mentioned, Freedom Works is one of those organizations that uh, it seems on the surface that it's that it's good, but eventually it turns towards something else, and that donor walks away from everybody rather than just that one organization that may have compromised themselves and their principles. And so. For organizations like Restore Liberty, and I know some others that I that I get along with very well, like Act for America and Stand Up America, are, are just a couple of examples, as well as Creative Destruction Media, that are doing the right thing, and they're out right. there trying to now not only wade through the leftist ideology and sword salads and all this kind of thing, but they're also trying to get to some of these folks and say, "Hey, listen, I'm not going to compromise." But how do you yeah. how do you tell people that when they've been told that before? In right. Sales? Yeah, it's so, tough. It's tough. We it's see real. it time and time. We do see it time and time again. Well, we've got to take another break. When we come back from the break, uh, uh, I see the hand up in the audience, folks. We'll get to you right after we come back from the break in the opening uh, clip. I'm Rob Manus, Red Voice Media. When I invented my pillow, my passion was to help each and every one of you. And 20 years later, all of your support is what keeps us going. Because of you, we've been able to create thousands of USA jobs and help millions get the best sleep ever. To thank you, my employees and I are bringing you a limited edition my pillow. The Giza Elegance My Pillow is made with my patented adjustable fill, the most amazing cotton, and a two-inch pipe gusset. It has four custom loft levels, machine washable and dryable, and you get my 60-day money-back guarantee and 10-year warranty. Go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code to get your limited edition 20th anniversary MyPillow queen size. Retails for $69.98, now only $19.98. That's right, get a queen size MyPillow for only $19.98. From all of us here at MyPillow,
Is there one particular part of the Constitution that you think really, like, just nails it perfectly? Well, I'm known for having a strong affinity for the Ninth Amendment to the Constitution, which says the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. That is an expressed affirmation of the retained rights or the natural rights of the people that first come rights and then comes government. The Declaration of Independence, which was the founding document of the country, it says that all persons are, all persons are endowed with certain inalienable rights, among which are the life, rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Each one of those is individual rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And the next sentence of the Declaration says, to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So it tells you first come rights of individuals, then comes government to secure these rights. The entire philosophy of the country and the, and the Constitution are summed up in those two sentences of the Declaration. Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show. And, uh, we're talking with the co-founder of Restore Liberty today. And Cat, uh, uh, we're going to come over to you. Uh, the clip there really captures, in essence, why we have a constitutional restoration movement. Uh, uh, and, and it's not written in the Constitution in an obvious way. It's in the Declaration of Independence. And, and the title that I gave that clip, Darren, was... Uh, uh, was uh, you have to know what your principles are. And everything about this country originally was centered on individual liberty. And there really is no debate about it. Uh, Kat, who, who had the first hand up over there? I see a couple of them now. Uh, go ahead with your question or comment. Truth not fiction. Go ahead. Go ahead, Truth. An honor to talk to you, Colonel. Um, I'm a veteran myself, United States Coast Guard, also uh, just recently uh, went through a process. Of course, that's still in process with the uh, Customs and Border Patrol, but uh, in the uh, Marine Interdictions Division. But uh, I've got a lot of friends, family in the military. I've got brothers, sisters in the Border Patrol right now. And uh, I guess the question I've got for the guest and you as well, sir, uh, thank you for your service, both of you. But uh, I've got friends who literally lost their lives here recently, in fact. Um, interdiction, uh, trafficking. And a lot of these folks that can't speak, but I could speak for them indirectly. Mm -hmm. But they have to make a constant decision process in between the uh, codes or like the UCMJ and the military. Mm -hmm. versus the ethical or constitutional values. They have to make a decision between the two because they're basically uh, got their hands and feet tied behind their back. But they, you know, um, they want to do what's right constitutionally, but they can't. Thank you. Yeah, I, under I totally understand that truth. Uh, and, you know, that's why it's so hard, hard when I criticize people in uniform the leadership, uh, it's very difficult for me, uh, you know, and I recognize like Border Patrol agents, uh, uh, the FBI agents and those kind of folks. I mean, we're, we're throwing some heavy criticism at the organizations, especially the FBI, 
because it's completely out of control. But we know there are good Americans there that uh, many of them have to put their heads down and just move forward as quickly as possible because they got to feed their families too. And it's very tough decision to drop all that, walk away from it when you uh, have established a life there. And I'll go ahead, I'll let you take a shot at that. No, I, I mean, I couldn't say any better 100% agreement. I guess one of the differences that you'll also see with Restore Liberty is though we're definitely willing to hold account all those establishment organizations, like the establishment people that are assigned to those organizations and the higher levels of the FBI, the Customs and Border Patrol and such that are part of the administration but have no interest in achieving the mission. Uh, our, our deputy director for Restore Liberty is, is I think at 16 years, maybe 17 years in the Customs and Border Patrol right now. And he joined us because he was tired of what he was seeing. He's a big fan of constitutional understanding and history, and he brings his expertise to our team. So not only are we founded by military veterans, but we have people in our organization that are at multiple ranks throughout government in some cases, and they're 100% patriots. And in other cases, you've got landowners, business owners, stay-at-home mom, homeschooler types, or dads, doesn't matter. And so we like to bring, I guess, what I would describe as the church model to our organization and what we're doing. Not everybody has the same skills, but when we bring them all together, we can be extraordinarily effective. We are a great coalition just amongst ourselves right now. Absolutely right. Uh, you know, Darren, you, you mentioned another one of the lessons learned uh, that you talk about in your article is about the compromisers. Uh, that's why I chose that clip. That clip was Dave Rubin and Professor Randy Barnett talking. Barnett's talking about what the the center idea was behind the Declaration of Independence, and the government itself is individual. You know, the natural rights of individual liberty, and the government's instituted to protect those. Uh, uh, and you, you talked about an organization that I've had like not really a love hate relationship, but I've always had my spidey sense tingling about it in the article, it's, it's called FreedomWorks. Uh, and and uh, look, uh, FreedomWorks has done some really solid work over the years, but they have made some compromises that I wasn't aware of until I read your article. Uh, can you talk, speak to that just a little bit uh, and uh, talk about how we can help our organizations not do that? I wish I knew the answer to how to stop organizations from doing that, except for the except for the one that I co-founded, and that's about it. But uh, the background was that was sent to me from somebody who was actually hired on to FreedomWorks or was considering getting hired on to FreedomWorks, drove to D.C., met with the organization in D.C., uh, took the job, lasted about a week, came home, uh, and resigned. So there's no way that they were going to be able to do that. And so we kept our eyes on that for a while to see what else would happen. Because when you start going down that slope, it, it, it tends to get slippery and steep pretty quick. So that link was sent to me by that same person. And, and it was just a, hey, check this out. Are you surprised? And I'm like, absolutely not. Because one, you already warned me because they had the best intelligence on this organization at all. I had talked to them in the past. And you could tell it was an organization that was built around the pursuit of the dollar and trying to fund their own jobs. Now, like you said, they've done some good things. But once yeah. you compromise on critical principles, and the, and the number one principle they compromise on right now is stated in that article is life. If you can't stand for abolition and abortion and 100% life no matter what, 
you're already compromised. And if you're doing it because of, well, we're reducing our odds of winning an election, you're compromised. Too bad. Someone asked well, me once what I thought, you know, if I was willing to risk losing elections due to the pro-life stance of, of pick a party or pick a person. I said, I would rather lose every single election in this country and stand before God letting him know that I stood for life than win and yeah. compromise. Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree with you on that. So that's what the issue, one of the issues was that uh, it wasn't real clear to me, uh, but uh, that, that, that's disappointing because you know what? Uh, I, I've run against Democrats. Mary Landrieu is the most famous one that was pro-life. She never lost an election because she was pro-life. So I think I see that as a red herring argument uh, that uh, that you're we're going to go lose election with Republicans uh, because we're 100 percent pro-life. I'm sorry, uh, but uh, the numbers really don't show that. Uh, and uh, there's a big difference between political campaigns and getting elected and then wielding power. And, uh, you know, we need to be honest with if we're running for office and we say we're pro-life, we need to be honest with the voters and let them know uh, that that's where we're at on that position. And uh, I, for one, am not gonna compromise on that position uh, personally and never would. So, so that's, that's a good example that we really have to keep an eye on these organizations because I had no idea. I mean, I'd always had a little, little spidey sense tingling about that organization, but, uh, but I'd always, uh, uh, you know, otherwise seen them do some good things, so. Anyway, uh, if I can throw in real quick, you know, one of the best, I guess, memes that I ever put out there to help people understand the difference between us is I put a circle over the D.C. area and said, this is where most nonprofits work when it comes to political activity. And then I put a circle over Coeur d'Alene, Idaho and Helena, Montana, where where, where Brileno and I are, and said, this is why we're different. (laughs) It's a great meme. Dude, put that out again. Send it to me. Uh, I'll do one for Gator Pack. I hate DC and didn't even live inside the Beltway when I had to work at the pit again. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> one of the other challenges that you talk about uh, uh, is that uh, politics is not a business plan. Donors are good business people generally. Uh, most of these people that we call to get funding support from have, are self made people. They've been very successful in business. Uh, but but should they really expect a uh, a uh, organization like Restore Liberty to operate on a business plan like what they're used to? Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I mean, there are aspects of putting together a business plan that are valuable to what we're doing, just from a sheer strategy standpoint. But the, the two ultimately, in my in what I've learned, are just not compatible. I'm not going to come to you and put a plan before you that looks like a profit and loss strategy, that looks like an investment strategy and all these kinds of different things about how you make profit. Mm-hmm. We want to win to the, so we can get to a point again in this country where your profits matter when you do start, yep. start a business. Exactly. That's what's critical. And, and I think that's, again, you go back to your, your Soros comment is, he knows that. He'll throw $120,000 at a race because he, he wants to get uh, a woke agenda abiding district attorney or something like that in, in a seat. And he, he'll spread that around and know that a certain percentage of them will win and a certain percentage of them will lose, but ultimately they're, he's advancing the ball his own way, destroying this country as best as he can. So we need to have that same kind of mindset at times without compromise 
but accepting the fact that sometimes you just need to take a risk on a person after you vet them, look at their platform and talk to them and say, you know what, mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a bunch of money or something like that or donate a bunch of time. And we're going to see if you win because we need you to be voting in that seat. And that's it. Sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, exactly right. And, and you know, we have to get people to also get past losing. You know, uh, in politics, and you kind of just mentioned it, some are going to lose, some are going to win. You can't just give up. You know, I mean, even uh, I've run four races. I've won one in a landslide at the at the county level and, and lost three. Uh, and uh, people throw, you know, opposition people throw, ah, you're just a, you're a, you know, a failed candidate, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, because they want you to stop. They want you to defeat you at, by making you stop what you are set out to achieve. And you mentioned that in the article, and we'll talk more about that on the backside of this break, uh, Darren, and we'll go to the audience. I see the hand up uh, right coming right out of the break. Look for this next video. It's titled Controlled Opposition. We'll watch a little bit of it and talk to Darren about what he thinks of it. I'm Rob Manus, Red Voice Media Network. Attention Americans, breaking news. Biden's dangerous plan for a digital dollar is underway. Don't be fooled. It won't benefit you. Take action now. The Federal Reserve phased deployment of FedNow began on July 1st, 2023. Be prepared. This may catch many off guard. Your hard-earned assets are in jeopardy. But there's a simple legal tax loophole to opt out of the digital dollar. Reach out to American Alternative Assets for a free wealth protection guide and discover how to safeguard your wealth with gold and silver IRAs against a failing dollar and volatile markets. Visit protectfrombiden.com. This invaluable guide provides precise steps to transfer your IRA or 401k into precious metals without any tax consequences. Be smart. Don't let Biden force you into using the government new digital dollar. Visit protectfrombiden.com to get your free guide and get started. Again, that's protectfrombiden.com. There are many reasons for the inability of a significant enough opposition to coalesce against the conspiracy. Primary among them being of course the elite control of the media, on all levels. However, the opposition that has been able to form has not been able to blossom into a broader movement, largely because of internal disunity. Part of the reason for this confusion is what appears to be disinformation campaigns to hijack any growing opposition to the conspiracy, as is revealed in the recent six-volume book, Ordab Cow by David Livingston. The key modus operandi of the conspiracy has been to deploy what he calls a, quote, conspiracy conspiracy. It is a deliberate attempt to cultivate an errant interpretation of the conspiracy to create a controlled opposition of naive dissidents who were ultimately recruited into inadvertently serving the conspiracy. This is by definition what conspirituality is all about. And there are many popular dissident public figures who are most likely involved in this. 
The reason this happens, as it has happened in history before, is that it is those who are dismayed with the direction our societies have taken tend to become desperate for change, and too ready to throw in their support with anyone who appears to represent their interests. They look at a leader's words, not what they stand for, which makes them easily duped. This is not just happening now, as I have said, but has happened many times before in history. The tactic, you could call it, dates back to at least the Enlightenment. And the Welcome back to Rob Rainer's show, live here on the Red Voice Media Network. And today we're talking about Americans having the courage to do what the right thing when their moment arrives. And controlled opposition uh, creates a big challenge, especially in the world today with as fast as information and disinformation and misinformation can flow and impact uh, efforts. Uh, and we're talking with retired uh, U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel and co-founder of Restore Liberty, Darren Gobb, today. Let's go over to the Spaces audience real quick, Darren, before we start this discussion, because I've, I know that they've experienced uh, controlled opposition before, and I don't know if the, the hand up is uh, a question that's about that or not, but I uh, certainly would love to hear from somebody in the audience about that, because I know a lot of people that have experienced it. Go ahead, Kat, with our caller. Okay, Shane's got a question for you. Go ahead, Shane. Hey, Colonel. Good to be with you guys. Really humbled. Uh, hey, I'm a uh, force reconnaissance Marine. Uh, early 2000s, uh, did a few deployments over to Iraq. Uh, since then, I've run for governor and Senate and U.S. House. And uh, I've got to tell you guys, you know, there's a lot of, you know, truth in what you guys are talking about. I wanted to kind of take this from a, a point of you guys have talked about the, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Um, the, the people that were pushing for the Constitution were not the same as the people that were necessarily uh, pushing the Declaration of Independence and the separation of uh, you know, the, the U.S. from the U.K. So the anti-federalists in that 10-year span, you know, we got about 10 years of freedom. And then the anti-federalists were those prophets out there that predicted the, you know, the moment we're in now. And I think it all really goes back to the, the banks and the money. Um, there's a great quote by Jefferson that says, if the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks, corporations that will grow up around the banks will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on a continent their fathers conquered. And that's, that's what we're up against here. And, you know, this, this fiat system with the fiat leaders and it's affected, you know, everything because it's transactional in every situation that we do, you know, trying to compete with institutional money as people who are trying to recede government rather than grow government. You're the furthest away from the policymakers. You're the furthest away from the people who are printing money out of thin air. And that, that institutional size money is something that we just can't keep up with. I would suggest, you know, very much so that when you guys are looking for a solution to starve this beast of, of, your, of your money, is take that money out of fiat. Get it as far away from fiat and every derivative you can and push it into real, as hard of assets as possible. But um, yeah, we're, guys, I, I appreciate everything you're saying, everything you're doing and working on. Like this is, this is the moment where Americans have got to band together and put away a lot of different things. Um, I've also run Bitcoin veterans with a, a bunch of great guys over there that are giving guys new hope, new mission that is rooted in freedom and independence. And I guarantee you, if I can plug you guys into things like that, to where 
people are building a new system instead of relying on the old one, that old system is going to be obsoleted by these guys who are creating the, the new system. But I appreciate the time, guys. Yeah, great comments, Shane. Uh, you know, the fiat currency concept really was, uh, it's a 20th century uh, uh, effort. And, uh, and the entire United States government uh, and state governments all the way to the local level really were changed even before that with the changes in the Constitution about how senators are elected and the income tax and creating this uh, this vast largesse of availability of funds uh, to the unelected bureaucracy. And that was enabled by, uh, by the legislature basically delegating lawmaking authority uh, and, and going into the last 30 years, especially of doing funding by continuing resolution and not controlling the government, uh, the federal government especially, and then over controlling through those funds the state and local governments, uh, which has resulted on where we're at today in many of these issues. So I think you're spot on about that. Uh, I don't know that I've got any of the answers for it, but we definitely have a target that we need to shoot for when it regarding fiat currency. And I agree with you. I think the methodology to get there uh, still has yet to be fully developed uh, in a strategy uh, that uh, that everybody can understand uh, that can provide a pathway to do it. But you're, I think you're spot on, Darren. I'll let you take that too. Yeah, hey, thanks, Shane. And uh, I'm always happy to be surrounded by Marines up here where I'm at in Montana. And I have many Marine friends. The uh, and I think you're exactly spot on as well. I mean, when people start asking me about how far I think this goes back, I, I just to pick a point in time, I go back to the founding of the Federal Reserve in 1917, Woodrow Wilson, and everything that meant, and start educating people on the fact that just because it's called the Federal Reserve doesn't mean it has anything to do with the federal government. It's a private bank, and it's controlling all those levers. So I can't go into every single thing that Restore Liberty is working. There are many aspects to our, our plan and our reach and what we're doing. Uh, one of the things I wrote 15 years ago was something called the GALT strategy. For all those who read Ayn Rand's books, that you'll understand what GALT means, of course. But I uh, started advocating and pushing then the, the need for an alternative economy based on anything else but the federal dollar, the petrodollar that they're going to use to continue to control us. And I don't think there's any way around that. It's become massively obvious, even to the people who weren't looking at, at that time. So. Uh, we're working a number of efforts with regards to uh, disconnecting from the federal government and those things that they seek to control, even within the economic realm. Everything from uh, farms and food, something we call food forest abundance with, with one group, uh, and barter trade systems, and, and you name it. Those, those things are out there. We're messing in with, or I guess you could say we're messing with all of that in, in, in some capacity building both small and large systems. And so the Gulf strategy is designed to help organize things and put those put those efforts into a, in a, a common construct. But it still needs a lot of fleshing out. It's going to take a lot of time. I just hope we have that time. Yeah, absolutely right, Darren. And, and Shane, uh, thank you for your service. And uh, thanks, Darren, for bringing in the Federal Reserve. You know, I've run on just audit, calling to audit the Federal Reserve and to go back to some type of gold standard in the currency. And, and you talk about the amount of, uh, uh, of pummeling from Republicans, established re establishment Republicans you get uh, when you run as a Republican on that. Uh, it's pretty impressive uh, 
I still feel it on occasion, even though it's been like 10 years <laughs> uh, and everything. But uh, that doesn't mean we shouldn't continue to try to do it. Uh, and uh, you're absolutely right, guys. Uh, uh, leave it to a Marine to come in and stir that pot. I appreciate you, Shane. Uh, but I was going to tie that to the controlled opposition piece. Uh, mm -hmm. because uh, that you talk about in your article too. And this amount of government funding going to these government entities and non-government organizations, NGOs, uh, that are doing the bidding of government now, when, when like we saw with the FBI uh, and the, the DHS doing censorship through social media and all that, that uses the strategy and tactics of controlled opposition, does it not, Derek? What has your experience been with this too? Uh, it does, uh, and most of my personal experience right now with controlled opposition is the, the desire of the Marxists, the lefts, you know, whatever you want to call them, putting people inside your organizations to learn what you're saying, learn your leadership, know where they are, and then occasionally try to supplant your language and form an organ, another organization that competes with you. And then as a the ultimate desire there is to potentially drag both of you down, even though they don't care about their own, they just wanna make sure that you get destroyed. Now, a lot of organizations deal with this when they grow like crazy. When, when it seems like they're just going gangbusters with their memberships and things like that, that's when you know that there's controlled opposition as part of it, open Zoom meetings and all, the, all that kind of stuff. And they're hard to identify. So um, Blaine Holt and I have a very specific process that we use, and it takes a long time to make sure that the leadership that we bring on board with our organization is uh, recruited through a shoulder tap strategy. If you and I know somebody or you know somebody and say, this person's 100% who they say they are, let's bring them in. Uh, yeah. That works extremely well. Blind emails to us to say, well, I want to be a state director out of you pick a state. It's not going to happen. And that right takes time. And uh, again, hopefully we have that time, but it has, it has saved us time and effort in other ways too, because we don't have to deal with the drama that comes with people that are only there to ruin what you're working on. Absolutely. Well, that's a great methodology. Uh, and I appreciate you going over it for folks because this show is recorded too. So it'll go out and it'll be available for uh, people to take a look at the, the, see this discussion about the challenges that your organization has faced. Uh, well, Darren, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been fantastic. We appreciate it. Uh, uh, where, where's the best place for folks to find you at before I let you go so I can pitch off to the next show? Sure. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Uh, Restore-liberty.org is our website, and you can see all of our social media connections on there as well. But you can find us on you know the big ones, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, X. Uh, we don't always agree with them, but we know that's where people are. So we're going to talk to folks wherever we can find them. Uh, you can find us, you can look up my name and it's in 